Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. The postseason rolls on and gets wackier and wackier. Thanks for listening to the Athletic Baseball Show. The division series are almost in the books. The Yankees and Guardians head to a Game 5 Monday night back in the Bronx, but the Padres, Phillies, and Astros have punched their tickets to the League Championship Series. This is the Monday Mailbag Edition of the show. I'm Tim McMaster. Because of postseason travel, things get complicated with our scheduling in October, but through the wonders of modern technology, we are piecing this episode together, although a little differently. I'll ask the questions. Ken will answer them. You're used to that, but we are not recording together this week. Hopefully, you won't even notice a difference. Without further ado, here's Ken weighing in on the teams that have cleared out their lockers until spring training. Hello, everyone. Hope all is well. What an insane postseason it has been so far. A lot of fun, a lot of drama, a lot of excitement, and for some teams, a lot of disappointment as well. I am just returning home from the Phillies Brave series. I'm spending one day at home, then flying to San Diego on Sunday night, recording this Sunday afternoon before Yankees Guardians game four. That is the only series as we record this that is still in progress. But I think we can talk about a few things as we go forward here. Well, there's certainly a few things to talk about, actually. And what I want to focus on is not the winners necessarily. We'll talk a lot about them as we go forward the Padres and the Astros and the Phillies and whoever wins the other series in the American League. But I want to talk about the disappointment that some teams experience, the issue of blame, of culpability, of responsibility. And I want to focus on the Dodgers and at the same time on the Yankees, even though, of course, the Yankees are still playing. And for all I know, they may come out of this just fine. But with both teams, the question remains, if you haven't won a World Series in a certain amount of time, and of course with the Dodgers I refer to a full season World Series, if you're doing the same things over and over again and not getting the success that you want, the results that you want, well, what is it they say? The definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result? Well, the Dodgers certainly face that question. Dylan Hernandez of the Los Angeles Times wrote, in my opinion, a very good column on Sunday, basically saying the Dodgers have to figure out their pitching in the postseason. That this is not a one-year problem, it's essentially an eight-year problem. Even beyond that, but Andrew Friedman has been baseball operations director or the president of baseball operations for the last eight years. They've had amazing success in the regular season. They've been an admirable organization in every possible way. They just haven't gotten it done in October, except in 2020, following the shortened regular season. I'm not quite sure how to describe the way the Dodgers go about it. The word you often hear is scripted. 
a reference to the front office working in combination with the manager and the coaching staff to lay out a plan for pitching that takes place before the game. It's always dangerous in baseball to do such a thing because adjustments are often required. And I'm sure the Dodgers plan is not rigid. It has some flexibility in it. But what we saw this postseason was a series of starts that arguably were too short, setting into motion the bullpen, more decisions, more possibilities, more margin for error. I would agree with Dylan. The Dodgers need to do something differently. And I'm not saying they need to fire Dave Roberts. I'm not saying even they need to fire Andrew Friedman. They're not going to do either of those things, in my opinion, nor should they. But maybe a different approach. Because this approach, a heavy-handed approach from management side, it's not getting it done, or it hasn't gotten it done. And granted, I say all this knowing, as I wrote in my column on Sunday, there is a randomness to the postseason. Billy Bean once called it a crapshoot. He once basically implied that it's all luck or a lot of luck. And it is. We all get that. And that column I wrote on Sunday was about the new format and whether it's leading to more random outcomes or if it's just the postseason and this is the way it is and we have to accept it and we should accept it. That's the question I raised. My opinion is the teams that lose, you can't excuse it because of a layoff, five-day layoff that took place between the end of the season and the start of the division series for the top four seeds. You can't excuse it for any reason. You got to play better. It's as simple as that. So that's the question with the Dodgers. And if the Yankees get eliminated, and actually this applies whenever they get eliminated, assuming they don't win the World Series. If they win the World Series, all bets are off. But when they do, the question's going to arise, hey, what are they doing? Are they going about this properly. Now, they have different issues than the Dodgers do. One, a series of injuries to their relievers that took place this season that really compromised them for the postseason. There's no question about that. At the same time, all teams face injuries. All teams have to deal with this throughout the course of the season. What I often wonder about, with all these smart guys running clubs, one, as I wrote, how is it that none of them are able to crack the October code? And two... How is it that all these pitchers and players in general keep getting hurt when there are all these precautionary things and steps that are taken, when nutrition has never been better, when fitness has never been better, all these things? Now, maybe it's as simple as, hey, throwing a baseball is an unnatural thing for the human body, and it's going to lead to this, especially when you emphasize velocity over all else. But that's an issue that the Yankees had to deal with. Other teams did as well. Maybe the greater issue for the Yankees is that they have not developed position players outside of Aaron Judge for the most part. Look at all the players they had, young guys that we all thought would be part of their future cores. Frazier and Duhar, Glaber Torres, who's a good player, not a great player. Greg Bird, Gary Sanchez, on and on and on. Sputtered. Someone made the point to me the other day that the Astros have been more consistent in a sense than the Yankees. Even though the Yankees have had great success like the Dodgers in the regular season, the Astros seem to figure out a way to identify young talent, develop that young talent, particularly on the pitching side. And they did it with some really affordable international signings. And the Yankees, they're kind of nowhere. 
There's Judge, there's Severino, but there's not much else in terms of homegrown talent. Again, these are questions that will continue. I'm not saying that Brian Cashman's going to get fired. I'm not saying Aaron Boone's going to get fired if, again, if the Yankees are eliminated. But at the same time, as an organization, you do have to question, are we going about this the right way? Do we need fresh voices, whether it's at the top or somewhere in between? I don't know the answers to that, but these are questions that get asked when you have a repeated series of disappointments in the postseason. We'll see what happens with both teams, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and everyone else. They're not the only teams that are facing these kinds of concerns. The Braves are probably scratching their heads, though they won the World Series last year and just had some bad timing this year, it seemed. The Cardinals, huge disappointment. This year we've got a question in the mailbag coming up about them. On and on. But again, this is a time of year when hard questions are asked and the answers are often elusive. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved next week, you can call us, as always, 646-543-7072. That's the voicemail line or the email address, tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Let's start with a question from John. He says, with the balance schedules coming next year, is there any need going forward for three divisions per league? It seems that three divisions just created so many seating issues with this new format, such as a division winner in St. Louis not getting through to the NLDS, a 100 and one-win Mets team being the fourth seed in their own league and it being more advantageous to be the two seed instead of one matchup-wise. The entire reason for six total divisions seems to be travel, but now that every team is going to play each other at least once, travel clearly isn't a great concern. Why not go back to two divisions per league, east and west, so that the top two seeds can just be the division winners and then the three through six can all be the wild cards? It would also ensure that the top non-division winner gets to play the worst wild wildcard team. If MLB does not want to acknowledge the third division winner and not have them get a bye, what is the point of even having it? John, I would say if the schedule was going to be completely balanced in 2023, your point would be extremely well taken. And it's well taken as it is. But keep in mind, we're still not there. Now, the way 2023 is going to work and beyond is 52 games versus divisional opponents. That's 13 games against each one, down from 19. Four series against each divisional opponent, down from six. That's a huge change. 
there'll be 64 games within your league, intra-league, and there'll be 46 interleague games. So again, not completely balanced. And the one thing that you raise here about the third division winner not getting a bye, that's a good one. And that's a question that others have raised too. For instance, why do the Cardinals this year and the Guardians, why did they end up playing the extra series? Why did they have to play in the wild card round? I get that one. And that's a criticism others have raised as well. I'm not sure what the answer is. And again, no format is ever going to be perfect. We all know that. Now you can find flaws, you can point to different things, but as much as I don't really like that, the third division winner not getting the bye, at the same time, you got to cut it off somewhere. And for that matter, all this talk about the buys not being such a great thing, the five-day layoff, well, maybe it would have benefited those other two division winners. So that's where we are with that. It's a good question, though. Okay, question two comes from another John. He says, how come the division series is not a best of seven series like the LCS and World Series? The Phillies and Padres 100% deserve to be moving on, but a five-game series feels like a rushed way to eliminate elite teams, Dodgers, Braves, potentially Yankees, who for six long months proved they were the best teams. Seven games would reward the deeper teams a little bit more, and who would ever complain about having more playoff baseball? I know the owners wouldn't mind a few more playoff games and extra money either. It just never makes sense to me that one series that is guaranteed to have a wildcard team in it was only five games, which leads to more fluky outcomes. Well, some people actually raised this question after the Phillies-Braves series. One reporter in particular, he asked Brian Snicker, hey, shouldn't this be seven games? And Snicker replied, it's been five for a long time and the system seems to work just fine. I would agree with Snicker on that. But the question you're asking is, why is it this way? Why don't Major League Baseball or why doesn't Major League Baseball simply go to seven games, seven games and seven games, DS, NLCS, ALCS and World Series? I don't know the exact answer, but my guess is the postseason has to end eventually. And you can't keep extending it beyond where we are right now. In fact, it's stretched a little too far as it is with the expanded postseason, if you ask me. We're talking about Game 7 of the World Series in early November. Now, it might end up fine if we have two cities with either domes or warm weather, but it might end up that we're sitting in a really cold place come early November. So that to me is the reason. And also the division series, it is, yes, more unfair than a seven game format would allow. At the same time, it allows for some excitement, as does the best of three for that matter, the one that has been added this year. Now it can lead to some surprising outcomes as we've seen the best of five, but at the same time, baseball, in my opinion, wants that. They want a little bit of juice like that in the postseason. And really, three seven-game series would be a lot to ask of your players as well. At some point, you have to cut it off. You can argue that they've gone too far already with the fourth round that they've added this year. But I just don't see how a seven-game series would be wise given where we are with the DS and where we are with the format right now. Thanks for the question, John. 
Our next question comes from Daniel. He says, any idea why the division series schedules are unbalanced between the leagues? It seems the AL teams got two days off during their five-game series. That's huge extra rest for their starters and bullpens. AL teams have both Wednesday and Friday off as extra rest days. That was last Wednesday and last Friday. Daniel, this is a question that a lot of readers and listeners have asked in recent weeks, and it has to do with the decision this year by Major League Baseball to start all of the division series on the same day. If you remember, in previous years, they staggered it. The American League would start, say, on a Tuesday. The National League would start on a Wednesday, vice versa. Now, by doing that, what you did was you ensured games were played every day. And the way baseball arranged this schedule with the extra off days in the American League division series, as you mentioned, that's the same idea. They want games every day, and they wanted to stagger it. They just didn't want to stagger it at the beginning, creating an even longer layoff for one league's top two seeds. So the idea was make the layoff five days for each of the leagues, and that's how it would proceed. So all four top seeds get the five-day break. Now, the AL wildcard series, their winners arguably were at less of a disadvantage in the division series because, hey, maybe they would have exhausted their pitching in the wildcard series, but they come into the division series and there's an immediate day off after game one and then again after game two. Enables you to reset a little bit easier. Now, it didn't come into play so much this year because those series in the American League wildcard round both went two games, but... I can see in the future where a three-game set does leave a team exhausted going into the DS, and it really has an impact on how you go about it. So, yeah, good question, and that's the answer. I know a lot of people, again, have wondered about this, but the reason is actually pretty simple, and it was to even off, to make sure that each league started the same day so the layoffs were equal. All right, next question came in via voicemail. Hello, fellas. This is Alex from City Fields, haunting it like the Phantom of the Opera. Um, so can I, can I come, I say this as someone who's a fan of your work. Actually, I have great respect for your work. I think you're a terrific writer, and I think you really, you and uh, writers like Jason Stark, I think, really add to the kind of respect and awe and mythology of baseball. Um, just really huge for writing this, this, the story of the game. And um, that being said, sometimes your immediate coverage upsets me. And what I'm talking about is you, your article after game two of the wild card series between the Mets and the Padres really felt like a eulogy. And I think a lot of that, you're a terrific writer. I think a lot of that could have waited until after the wild card series because it really felt like it was eulogizing the season and saying, you know, be happy now, but it's not going to look good later, which is all stuff that is very true. It just felt like really weird timing. Um, that is all. I, I don't want to, like, be rude. This is your wonderful podcast. It just felt weird. Thank you. Okay, I got a lot of complaints about this column. All the complaints, it seemed, were from Mets fans who were upset that I would dare write about the offseason to come when there was a game that night and when the Mets had just won 
the night before to even the series against the Padres. Happy to explain my thinking here. First of all, The Athletic doesn't just cover these playoff series with one writer. We had two stories that day on what the Mets had done in the game the night before. Two stories analyzing the victory. I'm the third man in, so to speak. I'm looking for a fresh angle, and I'm also quite aware that going into that third game, the Mets are facing elimination. These questions could come up right away, and at the very least, I'm thinking they're going to come up soon enough because the Mets don't look strong enough to go to the World Series and win the World Series, and if they do, the questions still apply. Their offseason is what it is. They've got a ton of free agents, big guys, and they're going to have to address them. Now, I have no problem ever with the readers saying anything they want about what I write. I can write what I want. A reader can react how he or she wants. That's all fair game. I do take exception, though, with the notion that I was insensitive to Mets fans or I offended Mets fans with my timing. I'm going to be as polite as I can about this. The readers, the listeners, anybody else, viewers on television, they don't decide what I get to write. I decide what I get to write and when I write it. And I thought about this. I knew going in, if the Mets won that game, that people were going to object. Some people would object to the timing of this column. But I decided to write it either way win or loss, because they would face elimination the next day. So for all those people who said, Ken was going to write this assuming they lost, but then they won and he had to kind of fix it. No, that's not how it went. So I'll repeat again. I don't write for one particular fan base. I write for all fan bases. I assume that other people besides one team's particular fans are reading me, and I'm not writing to please any fan base, and I'm not writing to upset any fan base. That's not how I think. And if you don't think that I write what I believe and what I want to write, well, you might want to check out what happened to me at MLB Network, right? We all know what happened. So that's the answer to that. It's a fair question. I have no problem with the question. I have no problem with the criticism. But again, I get to choose. It's my name on that sucker. David wants to know, we saw the Brewers deal Josh Hader midseason with one and a half years left of team control and escalating arbitration costs this past deadline. There was growing fear within the fan base in Milwaukee that Burns and Woodruff will be traded this offseason to save costs and for the Brewers to get, quote, more bites at the apple, unquote, down the road. Is there any truth to that rumor and could you see it coming to fruition either this offseason or down the road? David, if I were a Brewers fan, I certainly would have the same concerns because the trade of Hader was so unsettling and so difficult to accept for not just fans, but also players on that team that it raises the question, well, what won't they do? Now, with regard to Woodruff and Burns, both have two years of control left. Okay, They're both eligible for arbitration this season. Burns projected by MLBTradeRumors.com to earn $11.4 million. Woodruff projected to earn $11 million. Now, one reason I would be maybe less concerned about the Brewers trading either one of them in the short term is that they need those guys to compete. And if they don't keep them, either one of them or both, it kind of signals a rebuild, and that's not the approach that they've taken. 
over the years. They've competed. David Stearns, their president of baseball operations, was quoted after the season as saying, we need to build some depth in our pitching. Well, yes, they were hurt with injuries to their rotation. And if you go and trade Woodruff and or Burns, it's certainly not going to help the depth of your pitching. So I wouldn't expect it to happen this year. But they do have some difficult decisions. When I say this year, I mean this offseason. They have 18 players eligible for arbitration. 18. Only the Rays have more, and that's 19. So where are they with all this? That's a good question. And you can make the case if you're the Brewers management, if you want. They were two games under 500 between Memorial Day and the end of July, and then two games under 500 from the trade deadline to the end of the season. Adam McAlvey of MLB.com pointed this out in one of his season recaps, kind of giving the point of view of Brewers management, just to explain where they might have been thinking. And the point was, hey, they didn't really get worse, right? Two games under, two games under. But the point of the trade deadline is to get better. They did not get better, quite obviously. And they disrupted a team and a vibe and a chemistry that did not necessarily need to be disrupted. Could have addressed all this in the offseason. Could have traded Hater then. And because of all that, their season did not end the way it should have. My feeling on the Brewers was if you were going to do what you did with Hater, and remember, they tried to supplement with other relievers and it didn't really work out. Well, if you were going to do all that, then you at least had to make a major move to upgrade your team as well. Not simply compensate for the loss of Hater by acquiring other relievers or signing them in case of Trevor Rosenthal, who never pitched for them, but you had to get some impact somewhere else, particularly on the offensive end. They didn't do that. That, to me, was their cardinal sin at the deadline. But as far as the future, I don't see them tearing it down. Clearly, at the deadline, if they are not in contention, perhaps they'll take a different approach. But for now, in my view, they've got to keep going and got to keep trying and reshuffling their resources and figuring out the best possible way to compete. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. 
All right, Nick is up next. He says, well, the careers of Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina are over in a disappointing crash and burn scenario, and Wayno might be finished as well. I'm so very disappointed that the team couldn't, at the very least, make it past the wildcard series and play in the division series against the Braves. Now, call me crazy, but I would rather go on a rebuild than just play in wildcard games and get knocked out early. What has happened, in your opinion, for the Cardinals to go from a team that used to go on deep postseason runs all the time to a team that is, I believe, 1-9 in nine in their last 10 postseason games? What does the front office ownership group have to improve on? I feel like the Cardinals are stuck in baseball purgatory. I can certainly understand your frustration. And that was a sudden, abrupt, disappointing end to what had been a fantastic and at times magical season for the Cardinals. I don't agree that they need to go into a rebuild. Quite the opposite. They need to figure out a better way to compete somehow than they have in the postseason in recent times. One and nine in the last 10 postseason games, they haven't really hit in those games. Even though this year I thought their offense was potentially as dynamic as any teams in the league, potentially, when it was clicking. But for whatever reason, it didn't happen against the Phillies. So where are you? Well, all right, let's look at the postseason series and what happened. Goldie and Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, a combined one for 15. They had the issue with Ryan Helsley coming unglued in game one. A best of three is quick. If you don't play to your best right away, you could be out, and they were out. Now, what do they need? They need a lot. A leadoff hitter would be one thing. They need to figure out if Tyler O'Neill should be the left fielder. And if they can count on him to be that guy, they need bullpen depth. They probably need a catcher with Yachty gone and Kisner and Ivan Herrera maybe not being enough to carry the load by themselves. Herrera is a prospect they're very high on, but can you trust him and Kisner to be the guys next year? Maybe, but perhaps they'd like to upgrade there. Starting pitching is something else too. And they seem to be in okay shape. If you look at it from the standpoint that Flaherty should be healthy next year and better, Wainwright, I assume, is coming back for one more year. You've got Matt's coming back. You've got Michaelis. You've got Montgomery. Quintana's a free agent. That's good. Is it good enough to prevail in a postseason series? I would suggest the answer to that is no. Look at the Phillies with Nola and Wheeler. Look at the Padres with Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove. Now, There are many ways a team can win in the postseason, but dominant starting pitching is usually a pretty good indicator of the quality of a team in October. Phillies and Padres had it. I don't know that the Cardinals did, and I know the bigger issue is offense and their lack of it and the fact that Goldschmidt and Arnado didn't hit, but I would still like to see them get a top-of-the-rotation guy at some point. Don't ask me who it is, but it just seems to me that would top off their club. Our last question this week comes from Jason. He says, I just visited Tropicana Field for the first time, and strictly as a ballpark, I was underwhelmed to say the least. I was reading that the Rays' current lease at Tropicana runs through the 2027 season. Why would the commissioner allow them to play at a sub-MLB standard facility in a lease that extends so long? Jason, I can't believe you don't love the Trop. It's certainly a quirky little ballpark. No, it's not the best. We know that. Is it substandard? Is it to the point where 
Commissioner Rob Manfred should step in and condemn the place and order the Rays to find another home. No, it's not quite that. It's playable, as they would say. But clearly the Rays want a new home, a better home, a home perhaps in a different location, closer to the greater population center in Tampa. So, yes, 2027 is the end date for all of this. It's when the lease, as you mentioned, goes through. And they have to resolve this one way or the other. The issue is not whether they can play Major League Baseball in Tropicana Field. They have, they will, they can going forward. But what is the future of the Tampa Bay Rays? Can they get a new ballpark built? Do they need to relocate? How badly does baseball want to see this resolved in a prompt timetable? Now, we've been talking about the Tampa Bay issue and the Oakland issue for years. How long have we been talking about Oakland, really? And yet, both questions are still outstanding. And part of that is the process of getting local approvals and all of the things that need to happen to get a stadium built and the questions of financing that always come up, of course. But these are two things hanging over baseball. I'm sure the two things that Manfred would like to resolve as quickly as possible because, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, once you get those teams, those two teams settled, figuring out where they're going to be long-term, then you can expand to 32, and then you can really do some interesting things. But they have to figure out first, does Tampa Bay or does Oakland need to end up in one of the cities bidding for expansion and then yet go in other directions? So, again, they'll play at the trop for what it's worth, and probably, though, it won't be for much longer. It's certainly not going to be beyond 2027. Thanks to everybody for the great questions this week. If you want to get involved uh, down the road, 646-543-7072. That's the voicemail line. If you want to email, it's tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Because of the crazy postseason travel schedule that I mentioned, it affects almost all of our baseball writers here at The Athletic. The feed will be a little bit different this week. Um, we will have previews of the League Championship Series coming from Derek Van Riper and Eros, Eno Saris. Those will be bonus episodes. Uh, we'll also have a flip. The roundtable episode will be on Tuesday this week instead of Wednesday. Starkville will be coming up on Wednesday. Then you'll get the 3-0 show on Thursday and DVR and Law on Friday, as usual, to round out the week. Ken will be covering the National League, the NLCS. So get ready for the Phillies and the Padres, the underdog stories. Ken will be all over that. So check that out. If you want to join The Athletic, you can do that for $1 a month for up to six months get all the great writing. Baseball, of course, in the playoffs right now. Basketball gets going this week. Hockey got going last week. Great time to join. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back again with the mailbag next week. 